0: Colossians chapter 2, last week we worked on verses 1 through 10 and uh, we ran out of time so we weren't able to finish up all of it. It ended up being a more of a teaching on uh, false teaching and staying true in Christ and realizing the completeness that comes from Him. So what we're going to do is we're still going to finish up what we're talking about in verses 1 through 10. But if you will, I guess it's Colossians 2, 1 through 10, part 2. So, without much further ado, let's have a quick word of prayer just to give this over to the Lord. And let's go forward. Heavenly Father, good to be here today. Thank you for those that could come out and celebrate, Lord, just you. And I pray that uh, we would all learn from you and grow in you. And you would just go before this in all ways and all things. In your name, amen. And I normally don't do this, but I'm going to read the full verses of all ten to get the context, and I'm going to go ahead and go back and uh, break this up a little bit. Verse 2, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 2, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches, with a full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with uh, persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now there's a lot of words in there. Now what I want you to focus on though is this. We're going to use one word as a stepping stone to the rest of the lesson. Verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That word walk. Now, if you're fluent in your Christianese language, we throw this word walk around a lot. How's your walk going? Uh, His walk's not real strong. Or, you know, I'm not walking real good here. This walk carries a spiritual idea of how you're going in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if your walk is going good, then you're going deeper in Him. If your walk is not going good, then obviously you're not going deeper in Him. Now walk is a very interesting word because walk carries the context of progress. When you are walking, you are moving forward. Now some people say, we well, you can walk backwards. You're not really walking when you go backwards. You're going backwards. Some people say you can walk in place. Now, I stood in front of my bathroom mirror at home today, and I was going to demonstrate walking in a place, and I thought, boy, I look really dorky, so I'm not going to do it. You know what it means to walk in place. You're not walking in place. You're lifting up one leg, then the other leg, one leg, then the other leg. There's no progress. Walk carries the connotation that you are moving forward. It's progress. So when we ask, how is your walk? When God refers to your walk, the underlying idea here is you are moving forward in your walk with Jesus Christ. You're going for it. Now, I have to ask this question. Are you the same Christian that you were a month ago? Six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? If you're the same believer that you were years ago, have you progressed in your walk? Because I don't think any of you have reached a point where you don't need to go any deeper. Because if we've reached that point of perfection, then move over and make for a fourth member of the Trinity. It's not there. The idea is walking as we keep going deeper. And if you've reached a point in your Christian walk where you are content, you're what I call a plateau Christian. You've reached a point where things are good. You're not going out and doing the wrong things. Your marriage isn't falling apart. Life isn't this. You're not getting caught up in that. You're, it's nice. It's content. Contentment in your Christian walk is a very dangerous place to be because the whole point is we're supposed to be going forward, progress. Jesus gave us a great mission statement in Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. When you've reached the point of perfection, take a break. Until that time, I can be more and more like Christ. Now, this is not some type of legalism. This is not some type of burden I carry. It's a desire in my heart to want to be more like Jesus. Because if I feel like I have to do it to impress the body, if I feel like I have to do it to impress my wife, then I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. I want to go deeper in my walk with the Lord because I want to. I want to be more like Christ. I don't want to do the devotions just to show everybody I do devotions. I don't want to teach just to show everybody look I teach. And the quietness in my heart and the quietness in my home when no one else sees except God, I want more of Christ. That's what a walk is, is you want progress. You want to go deeper. Now, I would hope most of us here would desire that. problem is... To walk takes effort. Now, my kids are young. The oldest one's five. We've got three, one, and four months old. Now, everybody always talks about how fun it is when they're little and how much fun it is when they're starting to explore and to do things. I tell you, one of my least favorite stages with kids is when they're learning how to walk. Because you know why? Your whole house turns into one big pillow and mattress. Because they can't do it. They're learning how. They fall. They stumble. You know, uh, our youngest, Laden, has reached the point now where he can roll over, you know, both sides. So you can't just stick him in the floor anymore. It was so nice. He was like this little slug. You stuck him on the floor. You could come back three hours later. He ain't going anywhere. Now, don't call human services on me, but that's just the fact. He wasn't going anywhere. Now it's like, oh, he's moving. You know, and then when they get to that point of crawling, and then they get point of pulling themselves up, it's like, oh. It's a lot of work. Now, later on down the road, it's a wonderful blessing. I love going out with Elias and Judah. We can play kickball and do baseball. We can go out and run around and do stuff. But there's this stage, this phase of when they're learning how to walk where it is really tough. I believe the same thing happens in Christianity. I think once you reach that point in your heart where you say, Okay, Lord, I'm done. I just want to walk with you. Does it get easier? I don't know if that's the right word. I think it gets simpler because you realize your whole life just reflects and revolves around Christ. See, I'm not saying I've got it all figured out, but you reach a point where you just say, you know what, that doesn't matter. I just want to go deeper in the Lord. You know what, that doesn't matter. In the whole scheme of eternity, I want to let that go. But when you're in your early stages of the walk, you still try to get caught up in the things of the world. And I encourage you, let go of that. Just focus on progressing deeper in Christ. Because as you progress deeper in Christ, other people will too. Because did you catch one of these other words here that I think is very important and important to take a look at? Look at verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith. Now, quick question. Do people see Christ in you? Do they? Do they? Can people, by looking at your life, see that you are different from the rest of the world? Are you cussing like the rest of the world? They're not going to see any different. Are you acting like the rest of the world, saying the same jokes as the rest of the world, looking at the women the same as the rest of the world? Do you treat your spouse the same as the rest of the world, your kids? Do they see something different in you? Now, when you have that walk that's going deeper in the Lord, they will see that. They will see something different in you. And hopefully they desire that. What do they see? Verse 5 They see your good order. That order is actually a military term. And that order actually refers to this idea of the whole, if you will, company all lined up perfectly in order. Have you ever seen those when they have those honor guards do? The special marches with the uh, be it with the swords or be it with the flags or be it with the guns. That type of order. The world is supposed to look at Christianity and immediately say, You're different. Now, if they want to mock us, let them mock us. But they should see we're different. The problem is the world looks at Christianity, and guys, we really don't look that much different than the world. Now, yeah, we say a few things differently, we may wear a few different shirts. And on Sunday morning, maybe we'll come out here and do something. They should see something different in us. They should look at us and immediately see order. I love it when we have people that are in the military come back to visit. Because you know what? I can tell by just the way they stand talking to people. There's something different about them. You can tell when you talk to people that have that order and have that discipline. problem is when people look at the body of Christ, we don't really look that much different than the world. They should see something different. And the other word here that you see in verse 5, they see our good order... And also, steadfastness. Solid, immovable. Once again, it's a military term that carries this connotation when this orderly group of soldiers moves forward. It's solid and immovable, and nothing is changing it. Problem is, once again, as Christians, we're pretty movable. As soon as some of the toughness of life hits, we move. And I hate to keep embarrassing Marlene with this, but I tell you, if you haven't got a chance to listen to it, her testimony from two Sundays ago, that is steadfastness. That's immovable and the light of the world falling apart around you. And if you haven't got a chance to listen to it, grab a copy of that CD, get online and listen to it. It's a wonderful, wonderful testimony. And the point is, as Christians, we're supposed to have that same type of attitude. You don't have to go there, but just if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 15:58. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Boy, wouldn't it be amazing if you had that type of witness where people could see your orderly life, and they would know no matter what comes at you in life, you're not going to move off the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's a witness. Problem is, at work, everybody else starts whining and complaining about the boss and this, and what do we do as Christians? We jump in and do the whining and complaining too. At work, everybody starts talking about this, and the language, next thing you know, gets a little salty. What do we do as Christians? Sometimes we get into that too. We don't really have the order. Or maybe those things that shake the world, when they happen to us, it's not supposed to shake us. We're supposed to be immovable in the foundation of Jesus Christ. I shared with you a couple weeks ago some of the best testimonies I hear are when Christians go through difficult times. And they're honest, maybe they struggle. Maybe there's some ups and downs, but they stay immovable and focused on the Lord through those difficult times. That's what God is saying through Paul here in Colossians, is that people should see that. Now, what type of immovable object are you? Are you oak, solid, strong? Are you balsa wood? See, here's the thing. For some of us, the enemy knows, I just got to shake your world a little bit and your witness goes out the window. I just got to rock your world a little bit, and your witness goes out the window. Now you may be thinking, okay, why does God allow it then? Because the only way to get stronger is to go through those attributes, aren't they? And the only way to get stronger is to go through that stuff. And so therefore you strengthen those muscles, those spiritual muscles that are weak. And some of us don't like to do that, do we? It's tough. It's easier to be moved than to be immovable. In fact, the book of James talks about that we are kind of like on a wave, tossed to and fro. And whatever happens, that's how we respond. Oh, things are good at work, so therefore everything's great. Oh, things are bad now, and now everything's bad. And I've seen so many Christians that are this way. When things are good, James, I want to go deeper. I want more of Christ. I want everything. And then as soon as something in life happens that moves them, it doesn't do any good. What's the point of praying? What's the point of studying? Boy, so easily moved. God says don't be moved by the things that happen. All of you are going to get up tomorrow and you're going to face some tough situations. I don't know what they're going to be. For some of you, it's going to be physical. It's going to be literally a pain just to get out of bed. For some of you, it's going to be spiritual. There is a deep spiritual burden on you. For some of you, it's going to be emotional. Your world is going to be rocked by some news. I don't know what it is. The question is, are you going to be moved by that? It's going to happen. Now, when we sit right here in our nice little church, with our nice little lights, and we sing the songs, we talk about the Lord, and hopefully there's not the stories and the language and then the into windows. It's a very safe environment. It feels good. Right now, we're not gonna be moved. Problem is, as soon as you walk out of these doors, you're in the world. And the enemy is just looking for someone to pick off. Now, are we immovable? Are we gonna allow these things of life to move us? And we could all get up here and share testimony but are we going to allow those situations in life to control us or does the lord control us now you have to decide do you want to put effort into this walk turn if you will to galatians chapter 5 galatians 5 let's build on this concept of walking There's a couple great verses here about walking in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 16. I say, then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Jump down, if you will, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Once again, it takes effort. You have to decide, verse 16. Are you going to walk in the spirit or are you going to walk in the flesh? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I I don't even know the first pastor that used this analogy, but I remember very young when I was in the Lord, they talked about the two spiritual dogs. There's the dog of the spirit and there's the dog of the flesh. Very simply put, whatever dog you feed, that's going to become stronger. If you're constantly feeding the flesh, your flesh is going to overpower your spirit. If you constantly feed the, the spirit and starve the flesh, your flesh will wither up and hopefully die. Here's the thing. I talk to people, and they come and they say, James, I I, I want things to be different, but then fill in the blank. And for some of you, it's really hard. And I don't mean this judgmentally. It's just a fact. You have fed the flesh for so long, your spiritual dog is whimpering and dying right in front of you. And you're like, I want things to be different, but there's no strength in the spirit to do it anymore. It takes effort. Don't we all want things to be different? I've shared with you my love of infomercials and wanting things to be different, watching those infomercials saying, yeah, I could look like that. Um, around Valentine's Day area, I um, was at a store, and I decided I wanted things to be different, so I bought myself a jump rope. And Why are you laughing already? I bought, <laughs> bought myself a jump rope and uh, brought myself a, a pull-up bar. Not, push bar ice cream, pull-up bar, and took them home. And, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start working at this. And uh, first couple times I jump rope, I broke a light in our uh, basement. And, and the couldn't find a place to put the pull-up bar, you know, because that way you know, you need to make sure it's something strong enough. And so every time I go downstairs, because we go down to the basement to play whenever the weather's bad outside or something like that, I, I look at this pull-up bar. I look at this, this um, jump rope. And I keep thinking, I want this. I desire this. I didn't tell you, though, I bought this stuff Valentine's Day of 09. It, was, it wasn't three months ago. We're over a year now of looking and wondering and desiring. Now, let's be honest. How deep is that desire? Oh, it sounds good. Oh, I want to. I would love to. There's excuses. I don't want to break any more lights in the basement. Oh, I could take the jump rope outside, take it to the garage. I could. That'd be effort. Um, I could find a place to put the pull-up bar. I could look around a little harder. Truth of the matter is, I'm a firm believer. If you want to do something, you do it. If you don't want to do it, if you don't do it, I should say, then you really don't want to. I'm telling you right now, if you want to go deeper in the Lord, you will find a way to go deeper in the Lord. I spent years out here trying to make people go deeper in the Lord. And I realized I can't. If, if you ever come to me for premarital counseling or maybe even counseling, I'll give you homework. Not to put you back in high school, because my theory is if you really want things to change in your life, in your marriage, et cetera, I'm going to say, read this, listen to this, and the next time we get together, let's talk about it. Because if there's no effort on your part, how how serious is your desire? Don't want to go deeper. No, you may say it, just like I say it. I want things to be different. I want to jump rope. I want to do this. If I want to do it, I would do it. See, here's the thing. Verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Are there things in your life, fleshly sins, that are pulling you down? Okay, are you walking in the Spirit? Well, no. Well, then what do you think is going to happen? This is simple. I walk in the Spirit, and the flesh starts to die. Now, does that mean that all of a sudden I'm a sinless, perfect person? No, it's not saying that at all. What it's saying is, when I put my effort and emphasis into the spiritual aspect of my life, the flesh starts to die. Romans 6 goes into great detail about this that we are crucified and buried with Jesus. So, therefore, those sin has no effect on us. Now, we read those passages and we think, yeah, that that sounds great, but I mean, in all seriousness, that really works? Yeah, it really works. You know why it really works? Because God says it works. Turn if you will to Romans 6, real quick. Let's look at this. You've heard me say this before. Give credit where credit's due. I first heard, heard Bob Coy teach on this. He says everything you do falls into three categories. Either one, it takes you deeper in the Lord—Bible study, worship, prayer, fellowship—it can take you deeper in the Lord, or it takes you away from the Lord. Watching, listening, saying, doing things that you shouldn't do, that you know are sinful, that's going to pull you away from the Lord. He goes, but there's this huge middle section that's neutral. And he says, as Christians, we don't like to have gray areas, right? But there's this huge middle section. And he gives the example of your commute to work. Your commute to work, let's say it's 20 minutes long, you can either use that neutral time to go deeper in the Lord, time of praise, prayer, listening to teaching, you took something neutral and made it positive. Or you can take that neutral thing and turn it around to negative. You can spend that whole time whining, complaining, doing things you shouldn't do. Same thing, fill in the blank. Going to, I don't know, the zoo. That could be neutral. You can make it positive. You could have a great time of talking to your kids about the Lord on the way. You can talk about the beauty of creation. You can do all this type of stuff. The whole point is whatever you're doing in life, you can choose what you want to make that be. Mowing the lawn that sounds so neutral. It's a great time to pray. It's a great time to spend that time focusing on the Lord. And I know that sounds silly. And if you had asked me a few years ago about that, I would have said, oh, amen, in my heart. I'm thinking, what a dork. But the truth of the matter is, I'm out there mowing, and sometimes it's like, wow, Lord, this is pretty cool. And it's like, this is a great time where there's no one bothering, no nothing, and you can really just stop and say, Lord, nice time to spend with you. Now, Romans 6 goes into this. Look at this. Verse 3, Do you not know that as many of us that were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized in His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we should walk in newness of life. Your life is new. See, this is the thing. I see people that say they get saved, but they stay in their old life. Well, what did God save you from then? Why was He your Savior? There is a newness of life here. Verse 5, If we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, here, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, to be quite honest, you either believe that or you don't. Some of you out there... Are really good at this is just the way I am now Jesus died so you wouldn't be the way you are he died to free you from that sin some of you have reached the point of this is just how my life is I'm just gonna keep making these same choices this is just the dead-end street I'm on that's a bunch of baloney Christ has come to give you newness of life and to free you from sin now how has he freed you from sin well have you been united in his death have you died to those things See, we see this a lot, don't we? The person that wants to give up fill-in-the-blank drinking. They keep a few beers in the fridge. The person that wants to uh, give up the pornography. They keep a few things on the computer, stuff stashed under the bed. Fill-in-the-blank. If you really want to die, you die. You die to those things. Does it hurt? You bet it hurts. It is painful. But I'm telling you right now, the result of this is such a blessing. And there's things I'm still learning to die to. There's things that I've died to, and I never thought I ever would be able to give that up. But it's it's God be the glory, not me. But there's still things I'm like, okay, Lord, I want to hang on to that. I want to keep a few things in my spiritual closet. Because stop, jump ahead here a a little bit. Look how simple this verse is. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. See, sin wants to control you. Verse 13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law but under grace. See, God is simply saying here, whatever you choose to become a slave of, you're going to become a slave of. And if you choose to become a slave of those things of the flesh, what do you think is going to happen? The flesh is going to win. If you choose to become a slave of the Spirit, what do you think is going to happen? The Spirit's going to win. I know this happens a lot. People will come in for counseling and they're struggling with this big area, this big situation and I usually tell them, hey why don't you go home and spend some time in prayer over this? Why don't you go home and read some of these scriptures on this? And some of them have been honest and said what's that going to do? What it's going to do is get your focus off the flesh and on the spirit. What's going to do is going to have that time that you could have spent doing something stupid. You're going to be doing something productive. That's what it's going to do. See, here's the thing is we are so good in our society at excuses. Do you realize when Cain killed Abel, way back in Genesis, it said sin was lying for him at the door and its desire was for him. Sin wanted Cain. Now, in today's society, we have excuses left and right. There was no excuse for Cain killing Abel back then. He never saw a violent image on television. He never saw a movie he shouldn't have. He never read a book he shouldn't have. He never saw it acted out or played out. Cain did not come from a dysfunctional family. Sin was just there. See, here's the thing. So often we stop and look at excuses. And sometimes I'm always like, well, you know, has this conversation ever happened with your spouse? I want to come up to you, and I'm telling you I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing that. It's just that when you do this, now wait a second. If the action I did is wrong, then I'm sorry. What I'm really saying is, I wouldn't have done that if you wouldn't have done that. My wife has power, but she doesn't have that much power. I choose to sin. I choose to lose my temper. I choose to say things I shouldn't. I choose to look at things I shouldn't. I choose to do whatever it is. It is me and me alone. There's no one else to pass the buck to. Because what it comes down to is, I choose who to present my members of righteousness or unrighteousness to. It's my choice. And everything you do in life, you can make a choice. Is this going to take me deeper in the Lord or is this going to take me farther away in the Lord? You have to make that choice. Jump back now to Colossians. Because here's the thing. It's a walk. It's progress. Your walk is either taking you deeper in the Lord or it's not. There's no if ands, or buts. I don't know how many times I've heard it. Christianity is like the grease pole. If you're not going up, you're sliding down. See, the thing is, when you reach that plateau Christianity and you're not progressing you're really falling back because the whole point is supposed to be progress. Look at some of these words here that kind of try to describe this to us. Verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Look at this. Rooted and built up in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Rooted carries the connotation of a tree. Built up in Him considers the connotation of a house. A tree. Now, a tree that's young, you can destroy it easily. The tree that's old and mature, that has the deep root system, you can't push that thing over. Same thing with the house. This idea of that you're supposed to be a tree that's rooted in the Lord, grounded in Him, and then you build on that and you go deeper in the Lord, which takes you then to the next one here, verse 7. You're established. You're established in the faith. How are you established? As you have been taught. See, this is why we get together on Sunday mornings. See, so often we misunderstand what the purpose of church is. See, a lot of times we think the purpose of church is to see unsaved people get saved. Well, if there's someone here that's not saved, we do want to see them get saved. But the truth in the matter is the main purpose of church is to take people that are born again and to say we're going to teach and have a time of worship and fellowship to take you deeper in the Lord. So therefore, when you go out into the world, you're spreading the gospel of Christ. See, here's the thing. It's not the job of the church to spread the gospel. It's the job of the people in the church. You're supposed to go into your workplaces and your homes and your communities and spread the gospel of Christ. Now as a church, we'll give you tools to do that. We'll set up times to do that. We will try to teach you. But really it comes down to you and that person. I had a pastor in the local area here, that, um, one of the local towns, a family moved in and had been living in this town for a year and a half, new family, right in the middle of town and no one ever invited them to church. Now, I look at that and I think, how sad is that? Now, maybe I'm wrong for this, but I would think, boy, if there was a new family, let's let's try to meet them. Let's get to know them. Don't shove Christ down their throat, but at least introduce them or something like that. And I think sometimes what has happened is when it comes to evangelism, we think it's the responsibility of the pastor to spread the gospel, or it's the responsibility of a couple of those people in church that are really fired up. It is a responsibility, if you are saved here this morning, of every single person sitting here this morning, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we're here. And if we're not doing it, what is our purpose in life? Your purpose is not to get married, have kids, retire nice, and have a great retirement. Your purpose is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. And so the whole point of this is that we want to be rooted, we want to be built up, we want to be established, we want to be taught and what's the result of all this? For in verse 7, thanksgiving. That's why there's also a time of worship on Sundays and Wednesdays. Because if you're like me, praise and worship during the week kind of takes a back seat. When I have my time of prayer, it's usually more, Lord, be with this, be with this, be with this. It's like, I ah, probably should have more time to praise and worship. I'm listening to the music in the car. Usually it's more of teaching or this or that. There's really not too many times we really just take that time to praise and worship. There's something about coming together as a body to have that time of thanksgiving to say, Lord, we want to give you the glory. So, how does this all come together? We have a walk that is supposed to be seen, it's supposed to be orderly, it's supposed to be steadfast, it's rooted, it's built up, it's established. In the faith, we're taught how to go deeper and we thank the Lord for the opportunity to do it. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, what I want to finish with is this. Let's talk about this walk for a second. Now, if you ever look up the word walk in the New Testament, there are all these different types of walks. And you could spend a couple Sundays talking about every aspect of the walk. I just went through and just picked four things about a walk that your walk with the Lord is supposed to do. And if you're taking notes, you can write down these references. We're not going to go to all of them. The first aspect of your walk is supposed to be a walk of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. Your walk is a walk of faith. Now you may say, well, what's so deep about this? Some of us here don't have a walk of faith. We have a walk of, Lord, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what's going to happen, how it's going to end, and then I'd be more than willing to go do it. And God's like, sometimes I just want you to go. And this is what I see. Some of you come up to me, it's like, I feel the Lord stirring my heart to do this, but I I don't know what the next step is. Sometimes the next step is just to do it. And then he reveals to you the next step. Some of us want A, B, C, and D. God says, I'll give you A. Once you do A, then I'll give you B. There's a great example in the Old Testament of when the uh, Jews were getting ready to cross the Jordan River. The Jordan River did not part until they stepped their foot in the water. Then it parted. Now, God does things differently, right? When the Jews are getting ready to cross the Red Sea, what happened? Charlton Heston got up, spread the Red Sea, and the Jews walked through in dry land, right? They didn't get wet. The Bible says they not a single thing got wet. Isn't that amazing? Now, go to the Jordan River. Well, Jordan River is a lot smaller than the Red Sea. This is a lot easier, right? Just spread it. No, God says, I'm, I'm doing different this time. Step your foot in the water first, then it'll spread. See, some of you, you've had a Red Sea moment in your life. The seas just parted. It was perfect. I mean, it was just perfect. And so you expect every moment to be a Red Sea moment. You expect every time you spread the gospel that they're just going to hit their knees and accept. You expect every teaching to be deep and powerful. You expect every worship moment to be deep and powerful. You expect everything to be perfect. You want Red Sea moments all the time doesn't happen every time sometimes you gotta get your feet wet see can you imagine back to the jordan imagine going up to the Maumee river and there's literally millions of people and you're standing at the front you have the ark of the covenant you're one of the priests that are blessed enough to carry it and you have it on your shoulders and the command goes forward go go where go into the river what what would you do in faith, they step forward, and when their foot touched the water, the river parted. For some of you, the river is not going to part into your life until you get your foot wet. And you know what? What do we do sometimes with water? We gently stick our foot in. Was well, it cold? Is it warm? Sometimes God says, you just got to trust me and walk right in. If you're in a situation right now, in faith, God is saying, do it. You just need to do it. How is your walk of faith? Sometimes you just need to trust. Next one. We read this one in Romans 6. Walking in newness of life. This is an expect of walk that I see. Some of us don't realize we're new creations in Christ. You're so focused on what you did five, ten years ago, months ago, days ago, you can't move forward. You're new in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing thing. Walk in that newness. Yeah, but you don't know what I did. No, you don't, I don't know what you did. You don't know what I did, but Jesus does. He still forgave you. Walk in that newness of life, quit focusing on the bad choices you made days, weeks, months ago, years ago, and walk forward in newness of life. Next one walk in a walk worthy of the Lord it says ephesians four: one worthy of the Lord very simply put, is your walk worthy of Christ? Now all of us here are probably going to say no it's not saying a walk of perfection, but it's saying is my walk represents jesus some of you probably have a job where you have a dress code some of you have been involved in athletics before where you know that there is a a way you're supposed to present yourself a way you're supposed to look why because you are representing an organization you're representing a team there's a walk there's a worthiness of that well we are representing jesus christ himself now there's not a dress code there's not a certain way your hair has to be done but there's a worthiness of how we live our lives and there are some people that claim to be Christians, and their walk does not reflect that. And I sometimes think, just don't claim it. Claim to be a Buddhist or something like that. You know, go out there. Because the problem is their walk is not lining up with Jesus. And I look sometimes at my life, and it's like, you know what, Lord? I'm not walking worthy of you. Forgive me for that. What needs to change? Now, with this walking worthy one, you can really start beating yourself up. See, this is the problem. I'm not good. I'm just a horrible, horrible person. I'm just a sinner. How could God ever love me? And then you put yourself into this deep de- spiritual depression. Very simply put, you are a loser. I'm a loser. We're all losers. We know that. No one is worthy of Jesus. That's the beauty of grace and forgiveness. Maybe you need to walk, focus on that forgiveness aspect. As Lord, I can walk worthy of you because I'm made clean in you. I'm made righteous in you. That's the beautiful thing about this. Last one here as we're talking about walk. We've had walk of faith, walk of newness of life, walk in worthiness. Last one is a walk of example. Philippians 3.17, you don't need to turn there, it says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now, are you a pattern that you'd want other Christians to follow? That's what Paul's saying here. He says, I'm a pattern for you. Paul has those great statements in the Gospels, excuse me, not in the Gospels, in the Epistles, of imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. Now, how can Paul say that? Because Paul is saying, I know my walk is worthy of it. So, is your walk with the Lord an example that you could tell people, hey, watch how I go deeper in the Lord and then you do it. If it's not, may I ask why it is not? If there are areas in your life that you know are not a good example. Very simply put, why are we doing them? Well, let's not do it anymore. And usually at this time, someone comes up and says, "You make it sound so simple. Isn't it really just that simple?" Haven't we already established that fact from Romans 6? Whoever I decide to feed, that's who grows. If I feed the flesh, the flesh grows. If I feed the spirit, the spirit grows. So, if there are things we know we shouldn't do, let's not do it. Now, this is not a legalism. This is not a burden thing I'm throwing on your shoulders. I'm just saying, isn't it just that simple? It's the classic example if I hit my thumb with a hammer, it hurts. What's the best advice? Don't hit your thumb with a hammer. It's not deep. The problem is sometimes we make it deep. I've struggled with this for a long time. This is the way I was raised, or this is how it is. Or very simply put, I enjoy it. Well, this is where we need to go back to the beginning and say, okay, Lord, this is a struggle for me. I don't want this anymore. I want to be an example. I want to walk in faith. I want to walk in newness of life. I want to walk worthy of you. I want to walk as an example of you. There's a verse that's really been heavy on my heart. It says, to whom much is given, much is required. If you've been put in a public ministry, more is expected of you than other people. And some of you are thinking, this is why I'm not in public ministry. Okay, here's the catch. You're all in public ministry. Because as soon as you make a public statement of Jesus Christ, you are in public ministry. Well, I'm never going to say I'm in public ministry. It's tough luck. You're here. People know you're here. You're now in public ministry. Here's the thing is, you claim to be a Christian. You are now made your ministry public. People are expecting something different out of you. A walk of faith, a walk of worthiness, a walk of newness of life, to be an example. That is what is expected out of you. But aren't you so thankful that what is expected out of you is able to be done through the strength and power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. See, He doesn't leave you hanging. He doesn't come and say, James, this is what I'm expecting. Faith, newness of life, worthy, be an example. I'll check back in with you in a few years. He gives me the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me daily to empower me, lead me, guide me, direct me to help me make the right choices. As Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. Isn't that a great thing? This is why I want to finish with. Colossians 1.10, if you're still there in the book of Colossians. If you remember correctly, when we started our study in Colossians a few weeks ago, we said this is one of the key verses in Colossians. Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Make this your vision statement for this week. Okay, Lord, I'm going to walk worthy of You. I want everything I do to be pleasing to You. I want everything I do to be fruitful for You. And Lord, I want to increase in knowledge of You. If you make this your daily desire, Colossians 1.10, I'm telling you, God will bless you and take you into a great, deeper understanding of Him. A great, deeper understanding of Him. Marv, you are going to come forward here for the final song. As you are um, hopefully kind of contemplating here on some of the things we talked about First John 2:6 simply says, "He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk as He walked." Meaning, if you say that you're a follower of Christ, we should walk as Jesus walked. You know.